All right, well, welcome everyone. I would love to start by reading for us Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Friends, who we are as a church begins in this moment of time in which God or Jesus Christ specifically, is telling his disciples, you're gonna be my witnesses. Because what they did at Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit in a unique way, empowered by him to go be his witnesses throughout the world. So those disciples, those 12, and there was more, they told somebody about who Jesus was, that he resurrected. And those people told somebody. Could be a kid, their own kid, could be a family member, a friend, coworker. And then the next generation told somebody, and then the next generation. And then when, as you start working through history, 300, 400, 500 AD, you start hitting the dark ages. Things get a little tight, get a little dicey. Then you hit about 15, 16, 1700, unique stuff. And then there's the movement across the Atlantic over here in America. We're all born and we begin to hear the gospel from somebody. And we have the commission to tell the next generation too. Who we are as a church didn't begin because of just a group of people wanting to start something that was like this religious um, movement that would help us all feel better. This goes all the way back, 2,000 years, our roots go back to Jesus Christ and his disciples and the commission here of Acts chapter eight. And so for us as a church, today and next week is extremely unique and exciting for us. And I have entitled the message, which I don't give sermons titles very often but I've called it the church that God built, part one. And we're gonna answer the question, how did God get us here today, November 5th, 2023, and all that we've seen God do. So I'm gonna pray for us and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for my church family. Thank you for your word as it will guide us and instruct us and thank, thank you for who you are, that we can know you, that we can be changed. You've offered us not only salvation, but a life in Christ, knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, and being able to walk with you. You are our maker and we can know you. You've brought us into relationship with you. You've brought us into your family what a praise. As a church today, Lord, today and next week, it is a unique moment in, in time, in history, even for us here in Greene County. Lord, I pray you would be honored as we remember who you are and what you've done. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. <clears throat> amen. So my six-year-old, he has been growing like crazy and we started realizing we need to take marks of this and remember what he used, what height he used to be. So we got one of those things where it's like a long measuring tape, but I don't know, it like goes on a beam. And you can mark your kid's heights and then the date, and you can just kind of look at it. Our kids like it, I like it, because you know a whole six months or so for me will just fly by. And I am thinking, how did you grow out of those pants already? I remember buying those or the shirt or shoes, whatever it might be. Hey, let's go see how tall you used to be back. Yeah, usually we'll use one of the other kids' birthdays. And so they'll go stand at it and we just look at it and they're always growing. And 
it's such a unique thing. We, we use those little, uh, we draw little lines and write a date. And for me, these are little markers to remember that date, what was happening around then, and all that has happened in their life since then. And as I think about the markers in our life as Christians and as a church, God has given us markers that we can look back on and say, hey, at this date, uh, we were this tall or whatever it would be, some sort of version of that. And very similarly, in the book of Joshua, you see if you get to chapter four, after the Israelites, they go across the Jordan, which had mimicked when Moses took the Israelites through the Red Sea. But Joshua took his generation, because the previous ones missed the, missed the promised land because of their disobedience. So Joshua takes the young new generation across the, through the Jordan, the river dries up, they get across, and then God tells Joshua, get one leader from each tribe and have them go get a big stone in the Jordan, stack it up as a memorial so that when your kids and their kids ask, what in the world is that giant stack of rocks for? You, you tell them, this is God telling this to Joshua, you tell them what I did. And that is what they did. So they made this giant uh, stack with those stones. Friends, for us today, we have a chance to remember what God has done in our lives individually. And then the makeup of that is us even as a church. Some of these are unique to the church as a church family. Some of these are unique to your lives. And then you just pull us all together and it it describes this. And so to help us think through how did God get us here? What is he doing? Why is this happening? How does it even happen? I have seven promises from God's word for us today and they will function as pillars for us as we think about the last seven years or so as a church. And if you think about these promises, remember it is backed by God's nature and his character. And so these promises have worth and validity and assurance to them, okay? They're not just random statements. They are about our God, and he has proven that. We were singing that phrase, evidence. We were singing the evidence of who he is. So let's talk through some of these pillars uh, and, and, and what God did, the promises we see in his word and how that has been evidenced or expressed in our own lives. And it's a wonderful thing. I have been having quite the sob fest uh, so I brought my own box of tissues on stage this morning, <laughs> just in case. It gets nasty. The first promise is this. God promised he would build his church. He promised he would build his church. Matthew 16, 18. In the second half of the verse, Jesus says, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So by us even being here, not so much in this structure, but being here collectively as the body of Christ, the church of Christ, we are evidence of Jesus building his church and the work that has been happening for 2,000 years. We are proof in the pudding of this sort of statement. I wanna remind you, for those of you who were not, were not here at the time, it was eight years ago, that fall, 2015, when we as a congregation were commissioned to replant ourselves as a new church. And God gave us precise clarity on how he wanted this church. He, he infused with, with amazing detail 
what our values should be, things that would guard us, things that we would fight for, the value there were seven, that we were family, and that we were pioneers, that we were storytellers, that we're disciples, and we're servants, and we are ambassadors, and then lastly, that we are prayer warriors. And all of these guided us, shaped us. We were able to fight for those, so much so that we don't even talk about it as much anymore because it's just ingrained in so many things that we do. But these things were key for us. I remember even as we were praying about who, who does what. There's about 90 adults and 30 kids. We're all like, okay, who does what? Well, everybody had a part to play from the people who were making coffee and greeting people to the ones who were basically designated to be on staff or some of our elders. And so, you know, Maddie was like the best guitar player in worship. They're like, wait, Maddie, can you do worship for us? He's like, yes. And Crystal, she handled at the time the kids stuff and then all the operations stuff. And then, you know, we're looking around the room and I'm like, guys, I do not know if I'm supposed to do this. This was like beforehand. And it was funny how many of you, you know, John Tranum and others being like, Adam, the whole campus thing was God's way to get you to Greene County. So for me, coming from West Virginia, I really wanted to go to a city. So I had like London on my site, Sydney, depending on whatever movie I had just watched, I had a new city. I, had, I just did not think it would be like anywhere kind of throughout Appalachia, mainly just, I don't know. And the Lord used the campus and used my, um, he deepened my love for this community. So when we were faced with the, the option to, we really were faced, like as a, con- a little small congregation, do you guys wanna um, close it up or do you wanna try again? And faced with that option, I was just crying, no surprise to any of you, but I just crying to say, God, This has to happen. And, and John and I were talking about this too. You know, what was at stake? Because it was a conversation Lynn and I had that I had forgotten about, but I told John. And uh, she asked me, you know, what's at stake? And I was like, thousands of people. And so we met at, uh, Matt, he's up in the crow's nest today, but we met at his house that night as a men's group. And I'm telling all the guys, like, I don't even know what to do. Like, yeah, I want to be a pastor, but I don't know how to do this. I've never done this. And what if it doesn't work? And all the, all the what ifs. And so they just, they're like, well, you know, in scripture, uh, guys got around Moses and lifted his hand. So let's just do that. So I put my hands up and um, just prayed around me for that time. And several of you were there. And that was such a powerful moment to, to rebuild um, uh, confidence that had been uh, kind of attacked the previous several years because of the nature of what had happened and then also the calling that God gave. So there was some clarity on that, but I'll tell you what was so funny and I wanna share this because it's such a fun description of God knows his people. He loves his people and he said, I have a, a plan for this people. He gave us, there were two things that have stood out at the time that, that still carry us today that are unique. One was um, our name and one was the Buckhead. And so I wanna tell you a little bit about that briefly because several of you probably don't know why or what in the world that happened. And so the whole idea behind legacy, you know, when you're thinking through a church name, that was, um, there's several ideas in mind. 
when I was in college, I did a project to plant a church called The Warehouse in San Francisco uh, and, you know, stuff like that. And so we're like, well, that doesn't work here. So we're praying through it. And I remember this, the word legacy um, just like prompted it in my heart. I'm like, that's random. So I just kept writing things. And we circled back on that. And so I remember even looking it up and, um, and thinking through the idea of legacy. And we were really nervous to name it Legacy Church because the phrasing we use is that's a really strong name. And uh, it's, already, uh, it's already not worked once, you know? If we were presenting this to like a group of investors, they'd be like, um, your whole deal didn't take and you're gonna redo it with the name Legacy. And I remember praying, saying, God, you have to make this work. We're not gonna say Christ Legacy and then have it fail again because it would just be an embarrassment on his name. And not, not actually because we could get through it, but it was just that it felt like so much was at stake. And in that midst of those same conversations, I was talking to Lynn, and I was like, I guess we like tell them, like, people like, we love Christ Legacy or something. And she's like, no, no, you gotta have it like a power statement with this. If we're rolling with this, make it strong. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so she said, like something like building Christ legacy. Like let's build it. And not just for ourselves, but for future generations. You know, because at the time when you're just like in survival mode, you just want to make yourselves live and have some oxygen. But it's like, no, let's think even beyond ourselves when we start. And so the whole idea and the nature and the naming and all that kind of stuff behind the scenes was some of that. But then also the idea of the buckhead, this is so important. Like the, the Lord just knows what to work. So for us, you know, we're like, well, we should have something that has like a cross on it or um, um, anyway. We, and then we said, listen, and I don't know how you'll take what I'm saying. By the way, I've prayed about everything I'm saying, but I'm not, I haven't written most of it. So it's less like, I'm just going, each sermon will be a little different today. The, when we, when the church was starting, we said, listen, I think like 50 year old women and up are gonna go to church anyway, if they're Christians, like they're gonna find a church. I hope they like our church, but they may not. They're all gonna go to church, but a bunch of men aren't gonna go to church. Men don't wanna go to church, and especially like 25 to 45, 50-year-old men, they don't wanna go to church. So if we're gonna have a church, it needs to be something that they see and they think, all right, I don't go to church. I don't know Jesus, like my grandma knows, whatever it might be, but, but if they were to go to a place, they would feel welcomed, and they would say, if I'm gonna go to church, I'll go to that one. So we did a buckhead, and the very first service was Christmas Eve, and somebody with a discouraging spirit, you know, even like made a little red nose on it and said like, what is this? And, and I just remember God guarding my heart thinking, it doesn't matter. This isn't for you. You were already going to church for 80 years of your life. This is, this is different. And so the Lord did something when it comes to some of the the work in there, if you, if you recall, it's Second or First Corinthians 9, verse 22, Paul said this, I have become all things to all people so that all, by all possible means I might save some. We, we were intentional to try to find any ways that God would want to move in this town and, and really reach your friends. A lot, of you, your, a lot of you ladies, to reach your husbands and your sons and in many ways, God has been doing that. It's a real testament. That's not, it's one thing to do it and you hope it works. God really did it. And he has been working in that way. As I think about his work, I'm reminded of Philippians 1.6, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I've always read that about an individual, and recently, both in my group, somebody said it at the same week, I read it in a book, and both um, people said, this also applies to the church. What God has started in the church, like the big church, you know, across um, the different congregations, he will bring it to completion, and it requires faith, but in the midst of that, 2 Corinthians 3.3 reminds us of this. It says, the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. And so God has given us this, this heart to move and work in that way, and he's been building this church. That's the first promise. The second one that I've seen God as I think about this church is his promise to provide. Ephesians 3.20-21 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. God has done far more abundantly than, than what I have asked and than what you have asked. And it's a testament to who he is. He, he has, specifically in two areas I see in the places he has allowed us to worship and in the people he has brought to worship together and make this work. So the places, God, God has continually put us in really unique, pivotal little spots in this town. And of all towns, these, uh, I call them the watering holes. You got the high school, it's a huge one. And then the corner office, the fact that that was even a lease we could pick up was crazy. That office was disheveled and we cleaned it up and we have that now. And until we don't want it, you know, and that's, or until it sells, you know, and so that's been awesome, and then uh, we were in the giant warehouse, um, God gave us so much favor uh, with the owner there, and that was a great season of time, and then the very week that we were told, hey, we actually have a long-term lease now on your big room that we couldn't afford, so we started looking elsewhere anyway, but we weren't leaving. They said, you have to be gone in 30 days. That very weekend was when William Monroe had their grand opening because they had finished the renovation. So those like 18 months or so that they were working on it were the exact time frame we needed to have another place. And it was in that exact window that Greg over at TPAC had an opening for us to rent. That's not coincidence, friends. Those are amazing moments. And then in the midst of that high school, we're there, and then COVID hit. Ugh. And... Uh, what opened up? We were able to use the giant field with Carol Morris and like another man of faith that God came alongside to say, you can use this space. And then as soon as that was landing, our very last Sunday in October that year, the one year we didn't do a harvest fest, it was freezing. I know last week was super hot, right? Like I got like a sunburn and all that stuff. Um, 2020 is October. It was about 40 degrees and raining, so it felt awful. Only about 30 of you were there. You know, we, we all bonded that day. And, <laughs> and we're like, next week we are in the barn. And even this whole thing, this whole structure, God gave an anointing mind and hand to Ken to build this space. All these boards put in here. From, from the engineering structure that Nate did and others, and then the, the, the building itself, as you walk this space, it's not a random space. It was a prayerfully built space. 
And it's a testament to God's provision for a congregation to meet. I thought he wanted us in the warehouse. I was really sad that that didn't play out because I had big dreams. Like, how are we supposed to have 20,000 people worship? You know, the warehouse would have worked with, across a few services. And because uh, our town is 20,000, you know, so how do we have a space? And um, I guess God didn't want us in the middle of like, it's kind of hard to find. It's like, I'm going to stick them all up on the hill. Great. And so God has had us up here. But he's also used, you know, key people, all of, all of yourselves. And then as I think about probably the biggest endeavor so far of God's provision, I'm reminded of these cards. Uh, the, we, we did the vote for all the 20 acres, you know, um, two months ago or so. And many of you wrote verses. And all these cards have these verses. And um, each one of these is a is a reflection of God's work in your heart to say, I'm gonna walk by faith, which I'll say is like, if you're not gonna walk by faith, uh, what other option do you have? Because faith is an all-in thing. It's not 95% and then 5% reliance on yourself. It's, it's all in, and we're always growing in faith, so there's a little bit of a paradox there, but it's all in. In the moment of time that God calls you to say yes, you just say yes, and you let him figure it all out. And so all these cards are a reflection of yes and his provision. And I've prayed through these. Even a few days ago, we, we came across a situation that was impossible to come through um, in a timely manner. And I sat uh, regarding the purchase here and I was just sitting and praying through these. And I'm so thankful that you, like I, I was kind of at a loss. And so I was letting your encouragement that you wrote on the card guide me in prayer. I, like, you know those mo- moments in life where you cannot you don't even know how to pray. So you're, you're just like, I'm just gonna pray your word. And I was like, I don't know where to start. And I was like, we'll pray the verses. And so walk through those. God has provided in so many unique ways. And again, God's promise to provide is true, not only in this church, but how about in your own life? As you think about what God has done, uh, some of you, again, you're newer to the church, which is amazing. I'm so glad you're here. But as you think about maybe what God has done in your life since you've been at Legacy, how has he provided for you? It could be financially, but it also could be in all these other ways that we talk about in which God moves and he shows up when there is no other option. Now, the, the, the card on top is the verse about the feeding of the 5,000. And that's cool, too, because I think about not only this town being like 20,000 people being fed, and we talked about that last week, but even in that moment, th- there was no option to feed all those people. Like, they literally didn't have the means, and God showed up. And in the same way, he shows up for us. A third promise is that he would break the enemy's strongholds. We see God's promise that he breaks enemy strongholds, and we see that in our lives too. Galatians 5.1 says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened, again, by a yoke of slavery, or chains of slavery. Throughout Galatians, we see that we are called, Galatians and Romans, we're called to be slaves of righteousness, not slaves of sin, uh, not slaves of of, of both being like 
in the big picture of sin in which we would incur God's wrath because we're not covered by the blood of the lamb, but then also uh, behavioral sins and, and concepts like the sins and, and being a slave to theological liberalism or a slave to legalism, whatever it may be. We are not slaves to those things. Instead, we're slaves to Christ, which means our life is filled with the fruit and the freedom in the spirit. And I bring this up because one of the statements that people have told me over the years, and several of you probably have said this or said it to each other, is that there's such a sense of freedom in our church. Several of you feel this, this, this overwhelming sense of freedom within the church, and that's, that's not due, I wanna be clear on this, that's not due to a worship style or a translation of the Bible that's not the King James, or um, uh, like I'm not wearing a suit. It, that's not what's the sense of freedom. The sense of freedom is not the, the exterior stuff. It's what God has done in our hearts and for us to say, Jesus Christ has saved us. We are here to please him. We are here and we, we are here to, to live out the fruit of the spirit to the fullest that we can. And it's a giant collection of denominations. We're in, when you're a non-denominational church in the middle of the country, it's like you get all sorts of stuff. And so all of you are coming from different places and you have different preferences and things you grew up with. And yet you're able to, to set those strong preferences aside to prioritize the core doctrines and convictions that we have. And when, when, when you're in a room of people who, who can do that, there's such a sense of freedom because there's people who, who they're able to think through the, the most important stuff, the stuff that you really want to fight for, which is Jesus Christ. He is real. He is God. He was fully man or is man. And he, he's, he's God and he's man. And he died on the cross and he rose again and he's going to return. And we fight for those things. We fight for the inerrancy and the authority and insufficiency of scripture. And, and, and these are non-negotiable things. And we, we make our lives attuned to scripture, not you know, cut and paste scripture to fit what we, lo- what we like. And so with that, you have the expression of John eight thirty six, which is what we sang, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And so I wanna thank you as a congregation for cultivating that heart and for fighting for the right things despite the complexities of the body of Christ. You've been able to be a congregation that has experienced God's freedom because you have really fought for that. That doesn't happen by default. And as we reflect on God's promise with that, let me ask you personally, because I see that congregationally, but personally, in what ways has God freed your heart or given you a sense of freedom? Uh, in the bigger area, it's both actually. One is a freedom I, I, out of legalism and the other freedom out of uh, theological liberalism. I say that because of political liberalism, they're different. And so in which way has he given you freedom, if any? The fourth God, uh, promise of God is that he would miraculously heal. John, Jeremiah seventeen fourteen says, Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for you are my praise. Over the years, I have seen miraculous breakthrough from the mountaintops to the hollers, and it's amazing what he has done. Praise the Lord. Step on that communicate. It's like, yeah. I've seen this miraculous praise. So, so from, from children to adults to um, older adults getting saved, like literally a true, genuine expression of faith. We get to celebrate that next week with the baptisms and those who have been saved. What a wonderful miracle that is. We've seen spiritual chains broken. We've seen recovery from addiction. 
And we're talking some crazy stuff. Some folks have yet to fully recover from addiction, but they are taking steps. They're moving in the direction and they're surrounded by Christian community. And so we can say, praise the Lord for what he's doing. I've seen marriages healed. Those who sat there and they've said, this will never work. I'm done. And then we have watched God heal. We've seen the sick healed. I've seen those in our church. They're here right now and they have had cancer and they don't have it and they say praise the Lord they were once where they were just last week one of the women who she can't gather in here because of her immune system and she but she could be there last week and it's the first time I've seen her in a while and what a wonderful praise how God heals her fully I've even been able to just enjoy the privilege of seeing the breakthrough with Women learning how to be godly wives and mothers and, and leaders of themselves and men, the same thing. Watching men actually step up and be godly husbands and fathers and leaders, that doesn't happen by accident. Those are m- miracles in the work of God at work within us. And beyond the physical, we have seen Jesus heal souls. I mentioned this at the beginning, but I'm going to circle back on purpose. 1 Peter 2.24 is great. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Above all the physical things that we've seen God do, foremost is his work, that miracle work in our eternal selves, the soul, because the outer self is wasting away. And this leads me to the fifth promise. We have seen God and his promise that he'll be with us. We have seen that play out in this church. Psalm 23, four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How we respond as a church to tragedy is just as important as how we respond in those happy moments that I was just mentioning a moment ago. There is deep sanctification in the storm and we can't only worship Jesus when things go well and when the answers to prayer are there, but also when those storms continue. And so friends, we have invited each other into those storms. We have invited our chief shepherd to walk us through those valleys of the shadow of death. And we have experienced words like this, Psalm 147, verse three. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. As a church family, we've, we've endured the, the ugly side of this side of heaven. Um, from from babies to grandparents passing away. It's awful every time. And it's and it's heartbreaking. And yet we have been able to grieve well together and foremost inviting our savior in on that to lead us through that and i'm reminded of deuteronomy 31 6 which says be strong and courageous do not fear or be in dread of them for it is the lord your god who goes with you he will not leave you or forsake you you really get to learn he won't leave you or forsake you when when things are not going well 
Yeah, you love the high five side of Jesus when life is great. But when stuff is really heartbreaking, you know, and you're like sitting in the fetal position in your room, God meets you there. And those of you who have walked through that and are still, many of you, walking through that, you have got to experience, you've been able to experience this promise that God will be with us. And we have experienced this as a church. The sixth promise, this one's kind of quick but important to mention, is that he will protect us. God's promise to protect us. Isaiah 54, 17 is no weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. No weapon fashioned against you shall succeed. God has protected our church against heresy, against disunity, against toxic garbage that tends to infiltrate many churches over time. Recently, we had a a woman who had a lot of heresy, and um, we rebuked her directly in the name of Christ, and um, we didn't know what would happen, but she had left. There was an extremely intense conversation about that. And as those people are here, you know, one of the role of the elders is to protect the sheep, protect against wolves. We will address it specifically and not let there be a place for that, but not just with heresy, but then even like uh, toxic um, church culture that can kind of develop over time, which I don't want to get into mainly for the sake of time. If you're curious, I can talk to you about that, but we really want to guard against that and fight for the things that matter the most, namely who Jesus is, but then also those values that that I named at the beginning and how those really shape us. God protected us through all sorts of things. Uh, He's given us a holy resilience. I don't know um, crops that are resilient. Like, I don't know the names of those. I could ask the roads and you guys would know, you know. But you have like, whatever one of those might be, that's kind of who we are. Because it's like, we keep being in situations that should kind of, uh, should become tumultuous, but God uses it to grow something great. Uh, Namely, how we started definitely having a 99% fail rate because of just the, the scenario around it. And then we endured, let's see, two toxic presidential elections. Hey, they got that one. Somebody asked me, like, you got another one coming up? I'm like, well, we already had two. So we've seen God guard our church through that and not get derailed in weird ways. Uh, and then specifically COVID. You know, when that happened, I definitely felt like a, a farmer who had just worked and, and not just myself, because we had a whole team, but worked my tail off to, to, to have a healthy field and then just blight, ate it away. And I was left with nothing. And I remember the sense of helplessness saying, okay, the, the role is obedience and faithfulness in my role here. It's not results. It's not to show to other people. But I... Um, Equally, my church family is like my own children. And I just feel like I just lost hundreds of my children. What is happening? And so we were able to, God guarded us and kept us allowing to be a church family. And I completely attribute that to God's protection. That's another pillar for us. The last one is this. God's promise that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. God's promise for salvation 
is seen throughout scripture, but John 5, 24 stands out. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Friends, God desires all to be saved in, all to be saved. For us, let's prioritize and focus and celebrate the ones right in front of us, the ones in our own home, the ones on our street, or our holler, or our neighborhood, whatever it may be, the ones around us at work, the ones around us at school, all these folks, 20,000 or more, who are in need of Jesus Christ. God has placed us here, and we have this promise that God wants to not only save, but that those who call on him will be saved. It's a wonderful promise for us to cling to. And as we think about and even move ourselves into next week for our dedication service where we will celebrate what God has done and challenge ourselves to that. I want to give you a little bit of a taste for that and just remind you that as a church family, if we were to share the gospel with roughly 40 to 50 people in a, in a chunk of time, everybody, we would be able to share the gospel with our whole community. If the Christians in our town, there's about 2,000, um, maybe about 500 are prodigal, so they're like, figuring some stuff out, which I don't say that judgmentally. I think most people all kind of hit that at some point in their walk with the Lord. But there's about 1,500 who are taking it serious, 500 who need a return. And if we all shared the gospel with, you know, 10 people or so, the whole community would get to know Jesus Christ. And I think about that and say, uh, less, um, okay, so I'm wrapping up, but here's how I'll, I'll summarize it by saying I, it is time to get the work done. Like it's time to stop messing around and wasting time and dilly-dallying in things that don't matter and begin reaching our community in the strongest way. The Lord has stirred in me a new stirring. I don't even know how there could be more, but a greater stirring for this community to go out to just start talking to everybody, to just blanket it. They're gonna be like, that preacher is crazy. He just wants to keep telling me about Jesus. I know, I know you believe in Jesus. I'm like, yes, and you need to too. And it's for real. And, and somebody who might have a challenge in one way or another, I can connect them with any of you in here. Some people have intellectual hangups. Hey, we got a lot of smarty pants people in here. You can talk with them. You, somebody has like a lot of grief. Well, hey, we've got all sorts of people who are working through grief and wondering how could a good God allow this to happen? Let me talk to you, have them connect with you. We got all these people in between who would love to share it. So anyway, that's what we're gonna be pushing for in this new um, kind of starting um, next week. But I think about this with God's promise that all who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. That promise is there and for us to, to respond to. And so like Joshua, who was able to build this pillar with all those guys and have it be something where they can look at and say, here's how God moved. Let me ask you, how has God moved? Like, I've just walked you through different highlights of how God has moved in this church, but how has God moved in your life? How have you seen his provision in your life or his protection? Like, I mean, goodness, we got Ben back there, you and Christina, like your house burned down and like God protected that. That was crazy story, all the different things. And then the Bible sitting there on the couch, not even touched and like, this is wild. And, um, and then all these other stories, guys. How have you seen God's provision or his protection? How have you seen him build in your life? How have you seen him walk with you in the tragedy? How have you seen him either save you or save your kid? Like, we have three kids, but one of them has been saved in the time 
that we've been a church, a Roman, and um, much of that is through the reinforcement that you gave. If you guys were all punks, we'd have to like be at home trying to push back on that and be like, yeah, don't believe what they said in Sunday school or don't believe what that random person said. Instead, you're reinforcing that. And we're, we saw him, like that alone, I'm like, praise the Lord. And that's just one, one of so many. Um, so there, you know, salvation and the other ones I mentioned too. In what ways have you seen God God's promise is true for you. I could talk about it from the church standpoint, but let us just remember those and then, and then um, take it back to the Lord and thank him for, the, for whatever it is that might be most prominent in your heart. And that's, uh, um, I forgot to invite Trenton and the team up here, but that's how I'm gonna end. So how about I just pray? Uh, and then you guys, you guys can play music as people like leave, kind of like, you know, like a reception or something if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, you can still play though. I like live music, so that's good. And um, I'll pray for us. We'll get all those kids because they're probably like, you know, um, needing that. And um, yeah, you can play. How about, I don't want to hijack that. Responding in worship is really important. So you play worship, and then if those who want to sing can sing it back to the Lord, that's important. I usually respond that way. I'm just kind of in a whole nother place right now. And then, uh, for those who want to go or need to go, go ahead and do that. So let me pray for us. God, thank you that we can look to you as we look at our lives and then collectively as we look at the church. None of this, none of this points to us. I guess we're kind of like the moon. You know, we reflect the sun. It's just like, it's, it's not even about, um, it's just none of, it, it, Everything from the very beginning, this thing was supposed to die as a congregation. We weren't supposed to hit some of these marks that we've done. We weren't supposed to see some of these things. We have people in our church who by all earthly means have been written off as people who would never, if there was somebody who would never respond to the gospel, we might say that person and we've seen them not only respond to salvation, but we've seen them break chains or you're breaking them off of them one by one and it's your work and Lord, Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do. This is what you do. And you call us to be open-handed and let you work through that. And so, Lord, I pray that we would reflect, we would remember, we would celebrate well who you are, what you did, and all these promises. And that we would look at it not only with um, celebration, but it would be an anchor point. It would be like a springboard for us going forward. So when we encounter the next scenario, we can say, I, I trust God's promise more than I trust my own uh, wisdom, or I trust the circumstances, or I trust the statistics. Instead, I'm going to trust God's promises because this is what He did then. This is what He did back in Scripture. This is what He did in my life or that person's life. And so, Lord, we pray that we pray in faith regarding each of these matters, and we go forward. Thank you again, and I do pray in the name of Jesus Christ with great intercession that you would allow us to close on this barn. That everything would work seamlessly. We do all the paperwork, we get the barn, and we begin to make it a space that uh, you have uh, built for us. What a great blessing, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.